what Mark was saying before, um, as he kind of finished up the worship, he said we're going from one place of worship into another one. And then Kath read that passage, you've exalted above all things your name and your word. And as we come into the word, uh, this is also worship. So we're carrying on in Mark today. I just want to pray uh, before we start. But if you want to have a search for it now, it's Mark 9, verse 30. Um, I'm just going to pray first and then we'll get into it. So thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, your word is true and it speaks truth. And your word is the centre of all we do with the power of your spirit as well. So we pray that your word and your spirit will work together. And that Jesus, that Jesus will be declared today. That Jesus will be proclaimed today. That Jesus will be seen today. And we ask for every power of the enemy that wants to steal the word of God from our hearts. Like in the parable of the sower. Where the enemy comes and steals the word that's sown. We pray that he will not steal today. But that your word will go with power and will transform lives, transform hearts, even myself as I declare your word today. That we will all be brought together into the fullness of what you have for us. We thank you, Lord. Amen. It's a bit short, isn't it? it right okay so we're in mark 9 as i said uh verse 30 onwards so i'm just going to read it if you want to follow along if you've got bibles that's great so it says they went on from there and passed through galilee and he that is jesus did not want anyone to know for he was teaching his disciples saying to them the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest, And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last and be a servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will soon afterwards speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will in no way lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better... For him, if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. 
And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt loses its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So it's quite a long passage today, but hopefully um, God will draw out some things as we, as we take a look. Now at the start here, oh, I love this right from the beginning, uh, Jesus is taking his disciples away to teach them. And specifically, he wants to teach them about his death and resurrection. Now, in Mark, just to go back a little bit, in Mark, um, Jesus doesn't really talk about his death and resurrection. As far as I know, and people like Phil and Al and and, uh, Steve will correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think that Jesus doesn't talk about his death and resurrection much before the end of Mark 8, uh, Mark 8, 31. So we have this point where Peter confesses Jesus as being the Christ. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, just after Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Okay, and after Peter says Jesus is Christ, then Jesus says, you're right, and I must die, and I must rise again. And that's the first point that we get Jesus talking about his death and resurrection, which links his death to his messiahship. Now, that's a bit earlier in Mark than where we are, but there's an importance to that because after Jesus confesses his death and resurrection, talks about his death and resurrection, we get Peter correcting Jesus. He corrects Jesus and says, no, you can't die. You're the Messiah. I've just told you you're Messiah. So you're not going to die. That's not what Messiah does. And Jesus rebukes Peter, basically calls him Satan, and then he uses Peter's mistake to teach the disciples. Now why that's important, going back a little bit to Mark 8, is because that kind of pattern happens three times in Mark. It happens in Mark 8, which I just mentioned, and then it happens later on in Mark 10, where James and John are debating who um, who will sit at the right and left of Jesus in the kingdom, just after Jesus talks about his death. And then it's in the passage that we're looking at now as well. There's this pattern of Jesus teaches about his death and resurrection. The disciples don't understand what Jesus is doing. Jesus rebukes the disciples, and then he uses their mistake to teach them a lesson about discipleship. Okay, so there's this kind of pattern, and it happens in this verse, this chapter, this passage, and it happens in those other two places. And that's why it's important to go back a little bit. So, here in Mark 9, what is the actual sin? What's the mistake that the disciples make? It says they're walking along the road, and they start to fight about who's the greatest. Jesus has just talked about his death and resurrection. They don't understand, and they start to argue about who is the greatest amongst them. 
We don't know in what context they were doing that, who was the greatest preacher, who was the greatest fisherman, or who, you know, whatever. Now, I don't know about you, I am really, really competitive, okay? So, if you've been to a games night at Freedom, you might know. Andy, did you play a a game at Freedom? Yeah. 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 See, aspects, um, if if I'm competitive, or my family, if you know them, or whatever, I am. I'm competitive. I hate, 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 hate losing. Um, it's a good job I don't play sport. It's been like the World Cup, hasn't there, in Wimbledon, and it's, it's all about how competitive and who's going to win. Um, but board games, computer games, anything like that, you play me. You better not let you, if I lose. Well, but I can understand why the disciples are, are being like that. I'm like that. I hate losing. It's like, hate it. And, they're, and they're, they're fighting about who is the best and, and who's the greatest. And it's not exactly the same thing, but you know, like, who is, who, who, who's better than the other ones? In the presence of Jesus, who's just said, guys, I'm going to die and rise again. So what Jesus does is, he gets this little child, and he puts the child amongst them, and he says, there's another way. You need to be like a child in order to be my disciple. And this is the key to what we're going to talk about, what's coming out today. Because in Greek, apparently, it's funny because I was joking about Greek earlier, that I got my Greek correct in this sermon, and I don't really know Greek, but apparently in Greek, <laughs> apparently the word child is similar to the word servant. I don't know if it's the same word, but it's, it's a similar word. But the point here is that Jesus is saying it's not about who is the greatest or who's the best, it's about who is a servant. He's teaching them servant discipleship. And so that's the kind of phrase I'm going to use. It's servant discipleship. Marks of servant discipleship. The greatest is the most humble, not the one who is the best at whatever it is that they were trying to be best at. And he takes this child and he uses that as an example. And you could do a month a year's worth of sermons on being a servant. You could look at Jesus washing his disciples' feet, all of that stuff. But I think there's two things that Jesus... Well, I suppose there's, there's kind of one thing that kind of... It's kind of a bit of a mixture of things, really. It's a bit of a spaghetti kind of mixture, but there's, there's two things. I'll try and separate them out a bit. Two signs that we are acting as servants in how we live for Jesus, okay? So... So the disciples are fighting, they're arguing, Jesus gets a child and says, be like this, be a servant. And the first thing is, um, if you look at the end of the passage in verse 50, Jesus says, salt is good, but if salt loses its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. And so, kind of, to be a servant. See, the disciples, they were fighting about who was the best. But to be a servant is not about being the best. It's about being, a, it's about, you know, treating each other right, serving each other, caring for each other, putting the other person first. They weren't doing that. And Jesus seems to link salt with being at peace. Now, salt was used for purifying. Okay, on a long journey, you used to use salt. They didn't have fridges. And so, 
Jesus is linking being at peace with one another with being useful. Salt keeps things useful. It keeps things fresh. It keeps things working. It keeps things going. So if you put salt on your food and you transported it, it would still be useful when it got to where it was going. Are you with me? So Jesus would, would, would saying that to be at peace with one another is like being salted. Does that make sense? It's like it's being pure, it's being clean, it's being useful more than anything. It's not just pure and clean, it's being useful. You are useful to him if you're being salty. And being salty is being linked here with being at peace with one another. So the sign that you are being a servant, a servant disciple of Jesus, is to be at peace with one another. So if we're not at peace with one another, we're not showing servant heartedness. Okay? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> it's good. I like that sort of thing when I, when, when I hear preaching. I do. I do. It's encouraging. Thank you. Yeah, it's good. No. But so being at peace with one another is being useful to Jesus, yeah? That's what he's saying. Um, so it's, it's started to use to keep things fresh. So when they're arguing, they're not at unity, right? Now... I want to take you to John 17. Let me just go to John 17. Does anyone remember Jesus' prayer in John 17? What does Jesus pray about? He does a prayer there for unity in John 17. And he prays, it's called the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus. And he says in there that the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, to be useful is to be servant disciple, and to be a servant disciple is to be in unity and peace with one another, because the world will see Chester looks on the wider world that we live in, our jobs, our schools, our colleges, our everything that we do looks on at us. And people look on at Freedom Church, there's people that are around this church who don't know Jesus, and they look on. And they don't know about whether we're being useful to Jesus or not, but they can see. You hear non-Christians all the time say, oh, Christians are hypocrites. And that's because, now, I suppose that's a little bit hypocritical in itself, I'm sure, but, but they see whether we're loving each other or not, and they can see in that whether Jesus is really real or not. And so to be a servant disciple of Jesus, first of all, means that we need to be at unity with one another. Here at Freedom. It's kind of like there's no place for Jesus, for his disciples to be arguing about who's better. And we probably don't do it, maybe. Maybe we do, but we probably don't openly argue like that but I'm sure if you're like me you can think like that sometimes I'm better than such and such or I have a better gift but interestingly Jesus says to them that that they need to be servants and then he says anyone who receives me receives a child like this sorry anyone who receives a servant disciple child receives me 
But then what happens is, this is the next bit, not only were they not at unity amongst each other, what happens is they're walking along the road and they see someone casting out demons in the name of Jesus and they try to stop him from doing it. So not only are they not united amongst themselves, but they're stopping someone else who's not one of their group from casting out demons. And actually, this guy seems to be expressing the very trait of being like a child, being a servant. He's just doing what Jesus tells him to do. He's seen Jesus casting out demons, and he's doing the same thing. But the disciples, thinking they're better, seemingly, tell him to stop. Can you imagine um, us here at Freedom Church? Okay, so we're part of New Frontiers. Um, Christ Central and all of that. Can you imagine us seeing a Methodist or an Anglican or a Catholic or a whatever um, casting out a demon and saying, you can't do that because you're not part of New Frontiers? It's the same kind of principle. They see this guy who's not one of them but is clearly serving Jesus as a servant-hearted disciple of Jesus and they say, you can't do that. It'd be crazy if we did that, wouldn't it? It'd be crazy in this city if we were standing there telling people not to cast out demons or not to preach or whatever because they're not one of our group. So not only were the disciples not united with each other, they were not united with other people who were doing the work of the kingdom. And Jesus says you're not servants. You're not being good disciples because you're not being servants. You're not... Being, you're not being open to allowing other people to do what God has called them to do. And in fact, that's displaying pride and not servitude. You still with me? Is this, is, this, is this making sense, yeah? Okay, good. Because we can be like the disciples. I, I'm amazed when I read the Bible at how the disciples were... Um, so dull so often just do not get it and then Jesus tells them something and, they take, and they're supposed to take it spiritually and they don't and I feel sorry for them because they're supposed to take it spiritually and they don't and then he tells them something and, and he expects them to take it normally but they think they're supposed to take it spiritually because everything else was spiritual so then they get it wrong so the disciples were hard done by and we can read it and think that they were a bit dull but if you're like me Sometimes think we're better, we don't act like servants, you know. I just want to talk about, um, Steve, you said something on um, Tuesday, the theology of the visible and the invisible church. Do you remember talking about that? It's really interesting because we think denominationally, don't we, as well? So we think they're Anglican, they're Catholic. Should we work with Catholics because their theology is a bit like this? And should we work with Anglican because their theology is a bit like this? Should we work with Baptists because their theology is a bit like this? And there's this this theology about the visible and the invisible church. So the visible church is everybody who goes to church. In this place today, we are church. Everybody in this room, as far as we know, we're Christians, we go to church. But then there's a theology... But then the other side of that's invisible church. So not everybody who we see in church is a Christian. The invisible church are the true followers of Jesus. They're born from above. They're serving God. 
So the visible church is just everybody in church. Whether they're truly Christian or not, we can't judge that. And we sometimes look at it that way. We look at it as like they're like this or they're like that. Um, but God calls us to see, find anybody who's serving Jesus and to humbly, with a servant heart, join them, pray with them, accept their ministry so that we can serve God and allow them to serve God and act like servant disciples, not like the 12 who were proud and fighting. That was a commentary I was reading when I was preparing. A follower of Jesus must receive, must be received unless he or she gives us reason to believe otherwise. Anybody who's following Jesus and doing the work of Jesus to, to be a servant to them, to love them, to accept them, is to act as a disciple of Jesus should. doesn't mean we ignore theology and all of that. There's, there's, there's good teaching, there's bad teaching. We don't reject that stuff. We, we, we look at that. But, but disunity grieves God's heart. And if we're not united, like the disciples weren't united amongst themselves, they weren't allowing the ministry of this other guy to be accepted, and so they were sinning, not being like a little child, not being a servant disciple of Jesus. But that kind of leads on to um, actually the most important point, which is why I say it's a bit of a, a bit of like a spaghetti thing. It's not like one point, two point. This is how it is. It's like they're, they're kind of mixing together because of their attitude of not accepting each other or arguing with each other about who was better, and because they weren't accepting other people that were maybe following Jesus but different to them. Because of that, they were doing something which is which is sort of even worse to God, and Jesus is scathing about, about it. He, he teaches about judgment in a bit in this passage. And that is, they were not recognising that everybody is important in God's plan. Every person in this room, every person who is serving Jesus is important in the plan of God. That guy that was casting out demons who they told to stop. He was serving Jesus and was important in God's plan. And we can look at ourselves. And we can think that we're not important in God's plan. Because you don't preach or you don't lead worship or you don't kind of work in a church job and a spiritual job, every job spiritual. It's not spiritual and secular. It's not more spiritual to lead a church or preach than it is to work in a school or hospital. Or it's not though, is it? Right? So um, everybody in this room and everybody that God has called, right? I've got a verse here. This is amazing. Mark, are you ready for this? You ready for this? But what does Ephesians two ten say? <laughs> Ephesians two ten, right? For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That song, I showed Steve before when we were singing that song. Didn't plan that. I promise. Ephesians two ten. God, <laughs> there is a God. God you know. <laughs> 
It's amazing. God's really good. Ephesians 2.10, right? So um, God has created and called you and chosen you and prepared you to do a work for his kingdom. And he did that knowing that many of us wouldn't be preachers or wouldn't be teachers or wouldn't be pastors or wouldn't be church planters or, you know, whatever. But the disciples didn't see it. So they were dividing themselves. They were dividing against other Christians who were different to them. But they were also not recognizing that this person casting out demons, being a servant disciple of Jesus, was important. They couldn't get it in their heads. And like I say, we can be harsh with the disciples and we can be like them. I can, I'm more like the disciples than anything in this passage, if I'm honest. Right? But we are all important, whatever the calling God's given us. And they didn't recognize that. But every person in this room is chosen by God as important to his kingdom plan, whoever you are. Whoever you are, you're important to the plan of God. Yeah? Yeah? Don't look sure. You don't look sure. <laughs> well, you don't look, you don't look very sure, some of you. You are. You are. But the disciples didn't see that because they weren't being servants. And, they, and, and it, it's a lot of the, the people who are like that, who are not like the disciples, but are those servants, are doing more good for the kingdom than the disciples were doing in arguing. I once heard a prophet, a, a, real, a real prophet. This is, you know, you've got the fivefold Ephesians 4 apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. He was a prophet. This guy, this preacher guy, he wasn't just prophetic, he was a prophet. He stood in the sort of the mantle, the anointing, whatever the words, charismatic words we use for it. He was a prophet. And he was teaching and he said, and this is just the example he used, but it applies across the board. He said he believes that when God is rewarding believers on the last day, that many of the housewives and people that you know, stayed at home looked after their kids, this is the example he used, will get a greater reward than many preachers and teachers and ministers and church planters because they were faithful in the calling God gave them where they were and that doesn't just apply to housewives or house husbands or whatever it applies to everybody and why is that important because Jesus says you know that bit whoever I was reading before whoever um, sins it would be better to have a whoever causes these little ones to sin it would be better to have a stone tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea and if your hand causes you to sin cut it off in other Gospels, that's in different places, but in Mark, it's in the context of this telling the other disciple not to do something. It's in the context of the disciples arguing amongst themselves. Now, I would, I would say, my best guess, I believe, that it's in that context for a reason, because the Bible didn't have chapters and verses. It was just written as, as a whole thing. And so that's there for a reason. Now, it seems to me that Jesus is saying to his disciples, it is a great sin to stop those servant followers of him from doing what God has called them to do. 
when it's him that's called them. You'd be better to have a stone tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea. Jesus is, is kind of really scathing. He's really tough on the disciples. It's, it's an offence. It's a serious offence to do that. So in reality, the call of God for us. How am I doing on time, by the way? When did I start? I don't want to go over. I, I had the record of the longest preach here for a while. <laughs> Mark took it off me. I don't know what you're laughing for. You took it off me. <laughs> How am I doing? Okay. I'm finishing in a minute anyway. Um, <laughs> sorry. Just had to, I don't know why Mark's laughing because he, he did it. Yeah. Okay. No, that's fine. I don't want to go over. Um, So, to be a servant of Jesus, it can be many things. And like I say, you could preach a year's worth of sermons. But the essence of it here is, don't think you're better than everybody else. (laughs) Don't look down on... Actually, don't look down on yourself, to be honest. God has called you for a purpose. He's given you his gifts, the gifts of his spirit for a purpose. So don't be like the disciples who look down on others because that's not to serve. And when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, he says, Peter says, no, you can't wash my feet. And he he basically teaches them that the essence of leadership and discipleship is to serve each other. Don't look down on the giftings of others be at peace with one another and as grace of course this, this, this sort of preach can sound really legalistic and like this is the rule and you must do it like this it's the grace of God that enables it of course it is I always have to say that when I'm preaching sermons like this because it sounds like you must do this and you must do that and you're all really terrible and you're not really you're great but um, by God's grace Serve one another, love one another. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. That's Paul. Where's that? Someone can work it out and shout it back at me in a minute. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Stand in what God's given you and humbly serve one another and others who are part of his kingdom purpose.